Knoxville Tower, runway 23 left at Alpha 8, taxi via Alpha Taxiway. No delay, wind 2004, runway 23 left at Alpha 8, clear for takeoff, traffic 3 mile final. Read back correct, tower for taxi, have a good flight. Welcome to From the Runway Up. I'm Becky. And I'm Caitlin. And we work in the Public Relations Department at McGee Tyson Airport in Knoxville, Tennessee. We understand that going behind the scenes in an airport these days isn't as easy as it used to be. So that's where this podcast comes in. Each episode, we'll give you a behind-the-scenes look of current events at our airport and in the aviation industry as a whole. So fasten your safety belts and join us on this aviation adventure. So today we have the honor of speaking with Bill Marison, who is the president of the Metropolitan Knoxville Airport Authority. And Bill, thank you so much for being here. We know this isn't your first uh, episode here on our podcast, but today we're going to focus on your legacy and your years here at McGee Tyson Airport. So can you kind of start by giving our listeners an overview of the aviation industry and where you have seen it grow? Okay. Well, thank you, Caitlin. I don't like things that's all about me. It would be an extremely short podcast, uh, extremely boring one, but I do love things about the airport. So uh, if it's okay with y'all, I know y'all have heard this a thousand times, but maybe our listeners haven't. I'll start with my aviation timeline. If you can imagine me on a whiteboard with a magic marker, and we're going to start at December 17, 1903, when Orville and Wilbur Wright flew what was effectively a powered kite, and then you draw a line to the other side of the whiteboard, and that's today. You're going to come up with about 115 years. So what you need to do is start putting some check marks on that whiteboard of when significant events occurred in aviation. Probably one that sticks out in my mind is April 1927 when Charles Lindbergh crossed the Atlantic. After that, breaking of the sound barrier. Shortly after that, in 1950s and 60s, we had men in space. And that, of course, concluded with the landing of a man on the moon in 1969. Then you see the progress of aviation that has been made both in commercial aviation, military aviation, and general aviation up until now. You see planes that are capable of flying themselves. You see airplanes that would have been grounded because of weather 20 years ago are now performed routinely. You see the safest aviation system we've had or that any country has had. But let's go back to our timeline and kind of put it in context with me, okay? February 2nd, 1970. I go to work for the Metropolitan Nashville Airport Authority working for a gentleman named Frank Knapp. Now, what was unique about Frank was he was an old flight instructor, a mail pilot, a agricultural pilot, and a weather observer when we used airplanes to observe the weather. But what was really distinctive about that gentleman was that he carried a pilot's license that was issued by Orville Wright when Orville Wright was the head of the Civil Aviation Organization, I believe it is. Was wow. at that time. That's nice. I have actually held that document in my hand. So as I look forward to my retirement, two things. One is that I'm just awed by the progress that has been made in aerospace and aviation over the past 115 years. And then I'm awed that I have held a document signed by the founder 
of the aviation industry. And the second thing is that that proves I'm really, really old. No. (laughs) (laughs) It just proves that aviation is really, really young. (laughs) Thank you for being kind. (laughs) So you mentioned that you started your aviation career in Nashville, right? Well, actually, my aviation career started a little bit before that. I saw a television advertisement for the Civil Air Patrol back in the uh, early 1960s. And I thought, hey, that looks like a cool organization. So I joined CAP and was a cadet with them all the way through my high school program. As part of that, we got to fly a uh, surplus World War II airplane called an L-4, which is the military version of the J-3 Cub, for those of you that know your airplanes. And I just kept getting more and more enamored in aviation. I started skipping lunch at school because the uh, lunches were a dollar and a quarter, and the airplane was $8 an hour. It was $12 an hour with a flight instructor. So, I mean, you know, it was really hard for me to get lessons because I had to save up 12 bucks for my lunch money to go fly the airplane. But I eventually got enough hours doing that. Conned my parents some way. We won't go into details about that. <laughs> I think all of the statute of limitations is probably over. But anyway, let's just, <laughs> let's just say some way my parents wound up signing permission for me to solo. 1965 or so, I soloed in a uh, Oranka Champ, another surplus World War II airplane. And that really started my love for aviation. Subscribed to Flying Magazine, of course. Saw an ad for a college named Embry-Riddle. Went down there and pursued a uh, degree in aeronautical science. Then, when I graduated from there, I came back and I had been offered a job with General Electric. Well, seems like General Electric was taking their sweet time calling me and telling me exactly what I needed to do. And so I was laying on the couch one day, and my father, who was working at the Nashville airport at the time, came in and got me a uh, part-time job with the what was then the forming Nashville Airport Authority. General Electric, if you're out there, I'm still waiting for that. (laughs) Then you went and were the director for the Jackson, Tennessee airport. Yes, uh I was at Jackson, Tennessee for eight years. Being down there was a real learning experience because it was a very small air carrier airport at the time. We had six flights a day, service from Southern Airways. Dispatch from the airline said, take off, head west, land at every airport you come to. So the airplane would take off from Memphis, go to Jackson, Jackson to Nashville, Nashville to Crossville, Crossville to Knoxville, Knoxville to Tri-Cities, and come back and do it again. Hmm. And so that was called the Tennessee Shuttle, and that was Jackson, Tennessee's air service. It was an airport that was subsidized by tax dollars from Madison County. So we literally had to watch every penny that we had. I also mowed grass. I cleaned the building some. I worked on the electrical system. Just about everything you can imagine in order to keep an airport open. I even changed the lamp in the rotating beacon one time. (laughs) Now, those of you that don't know about the rotating beacon, you can see ours down here on Alcoa Highway as you pass it, especially in bad weather. You'll see it's got a green lens in it and a white lens in it. So that thing is 75 feet in the air. Much as I dearly love flying, I'm not real good with heights. But you did it because you were in charge of that airport. Those beacons are kind of important, right? Yeah. (laughs) Having to change that rotating lamp out was definitely a milestone in my career. 
which led you then to McGee Tyson Airport in the operations department. That's correct. I came in July of 1982. I like to tell people it was me and the World's Fair came to town at the same, same time. time. Yeah, I was the operations manager. Literally, the airport had one 9,000-foot runway and one 6,000-foot runway at that time. We, of course, had the old terminal building that had effectively 10 gates. We used to call it 12 gates, but we were kind of cheating. Two of those (laughs) gates cohabitated. (laughs) We figured if we didn't tell the public, no one would know. So now the cat's out of the bag. Oh, no. The old terminal (laughs) building actually had 10 Gates. You heard it here first. (laughs) Yeah, you heard it here first. So uh, I came to town and I said, okay, well, where do we keep the equipment? And they said, well, let me show you. And I thought, okay, we're going to drive up to this nice building with all the equipment stored in it. And they started showing me some of it was sitting outside over on the old terminal building ramp where TAC Air is now. Some of it was pushed back under various eaves at the terminal building and Then the really high-priced stuff was parked in the basement of the old terminal building. One of my first thoughts was, hmm, we really need a building to maintain the stuff that we have. Because remember, uh, people see our front yard here at the terminal building and how nicely our ground crews and maintenance people maintain that and all of the plantings and everything. But we got a pretty cool backyard, too. It's about (laughs) 2,000 acres with 90 of that being paved. So as you can imagine, it takes a um, good amount of what would be called street maintenance equipment for a city, a large, extremely large amount of mowers. For some strange reason, we want to keep clear spaces around an airport. So, yeah. uh, you know, that's why we have to maintain so much land. So anyway, to say that, one of the first things I did here was work on getting a operations department kind of up and running and getting the uh, building built so that we could store and maintain all of our equipment. The uh, other thing that I worked on was the safety department. When I first came here, we didn't have a safety department. We had a uh, police department, and then the Air National Guard provided the crash fire rescue. Well, under what was a recent requirement was airport certification, and we found that the military standards and our standards didn't always jive. They were complementary But we had some requirements that they didn't have to fulfill, and they had some requirements that we didn't have to fulfill. So for all of those reasons, we decided that we would build our own fire station here, which was also finished in 1982. So we were looking at the most efficient use of manpower at the time, and several airports already had this. We weren't inventing anything. Where you take your police department and your safety department, your fire department, and you put them together, and you form a safety department. So now, looking in the future, I'm not sure exactly what we have created here, because now it's firemen, police, medical, environmental... I mean, those poor people, the list just goes on and on of what their duties are. So, well, we're slowly seeing some changes. Some of the things that the safe department's been doing has been moved over to our operations department and things like that. So it's going to slowly see some transition, I think, away from what I think is the traditional role of a safety officer. I shouldn't single out one department. I just want to give all of the employees here 
current and former kudos for the work that they have done to improve this airport and to make it what it is today. I have joked before that one of my top management mantras is hire good people, get out of their way and let them do their job. I think that has proven to be very successful here at the airport. Well, and that being said, we have been talking all year about the growth, the the record-breaking growth that our airport is seeing and the major changes that we're seeing in the aviation industry and those impacts on us locally. How have you seen aviation evolve and what are some of the most significant things that you've seen evolve in your time in aviation? Well, one of the things was when I came here in 1982, if you wanted to take a flight out of Knoxville, Tennessee, you picked up the phone and you called Delta Airlines and you were on your way to Atlanta. We had a few other destinations back then, but certainly nothing like what we have today. We have service now to 22 nonstop destinations out of Knoxville, Tennessee. That's higher than any of our peer group airports. And so that is a matter of tremendous convenience to the uh, business traveler and also to the leisure traveler. And and you're going to see that expand even more. I keep coming back to, I like to think about what's in the future more than what's in the past. But if you look at Allegiant starting its crew base here, if you look at what picking up another flight to New York and then we're getting nonstop to Miami, All of that simply adds up to more air service, more destinations, more competition. And I think you're going to see more and more of that in the coming years out of McGee-Tyson Airport. If you ask me to, I would predict that we're going to have West Coast service out of here in not too many years, especially with the runway project that's going on now. People often ask me, what was your favorite project here at the airport? Tongue-in-cheek, I say, any of them after they were finished. (laughs) Um, uh, But two that stand out are the terminal building, which, of course, for those of you that are new to the area or, or may not know, the terminal building wasn't a new terminal building. It was a remodel. Extensively remodeled. I'm fond of saying if we had taken one more brick out of the building, it would have been a reconstruction. But the land side part of the terminal, the ticket counter, the baggage check-in, all of that goes back to 1974. That building was simply remodeled, and then the new concourse was constructed. The simple logistics of getting that done while maintaining a functioning airport was phenomenal. I mean, it was really a... Difficult project, took a lot of people, a lot of cooperation from the airlines, all of our business partners, contractors, the engineers, everybody had to work together very closely on that project. But like I said, now that it's done, I'm very, very proud of it. And I'm proud of the condition of our terminal building, too. I don't think that when you walk into our front door, you're going to think, wow, this is a 1974 building. It doesn't look like that. And we get comments all the time about how nicely it's kept and the hard work of our employees, how much they put into it to present an airport to the public that is easy to go through and and convenient and really clean. Yes. Because the terminal renovation, that was in 2000. Yes. Right. Right. Yeah. So the building's 18 years old now. and We I don't mean, look 18. No. But, I mean, you know, it's going to require some maintenance, and we're working through that right now. But it's time to do some things differently and catch up with technology and things like that. So really, a terminal building is always a work in progress till you build a new one. It just, I don't care what happens. I mean, like this building, 
building been open for a year and 9-11 occurs. And I mean, basically we had to reconfigure the whole head of the stream out there in order to be able to put new required TSA screening checkpoint in there now. Well, now we're fixing to redo the checkpoint and we're fixing to add a fourth lane out there. So, you know, it's just constant evolution, constant construction around an airport. You're, you're never, never done. Well, and that's because the needs of the travelers, as well as the requirements that are placed on the airport, continually change. We're probably one of the most highly, if not highly, regulated industries in the world. A lot of uniformity. If you land at McGee Tyson Airport, you land at an airport that looks like London. You land at an airport that looks like Dallas. The size may vary, but the actual configuration and what you expect when you uh, arrive at the airport is all the same. It takes a lot of regulation, inspection, and compliance, which kind of leads us to the airfield project which is another one that I am extremely proud of. And let me back up. When I say I'm extremely proud of these projects, I'm not saying that I did them. There was a whole staff of people with the airport authority that worked in unity and harmony in order to be able to accomplish these projects. But what we had out on the airfield, we had two 9,000-foot runways, and basically none of them complied with the FAA standards. This was a land-grant airport. All that means is it was owned by the military during World War II. It was given to the city of Knoxville, and then the city of Knoxville conveyed it to the airport authority in 1978. During all of that time, we had done maintenance and occasionally extensions to the runway. Well, when you add to a runway in East Tennessee, it either goes uphill or downhill. (laughs) Well, since you can't have a runway going uphill, ours was laid out so that it kept going downhill. Well, we couldn't meet the grade requirements then. The way our taxiways, which are the, I hate to use the word streets, but that's probably about the best analogy, the streets that allow the airplanes to get to the runway, was not laid out consistent with any regulations at all. So the fix to it is to completely reconstruct the airfield. And I think within the next five years or so, maybe about 90% of the pavement out there is going to have been touched one way or the other. I said we had a 9,000-foot runway. When we took two, three right, five left down, we... uh, At 9,000 feet, we're bringing it back as 10,000 feet, which is very significant because airplanes don't perform as well on high heat days in the summer. That's a hit on aircraft performance, and by having that extra 1,000 feet, that means they can fly longer distances with full loads without having to stop for fuel. So that's going to help that my... Karnak prediction about West Coast service. I hope to see that. So you talked about some of the projects, but you also have a different vantage point that Kaylin and I have. We're not pilots, but you've been a pilot yet. and flown in yet. She's thinking about it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I am going to come back and be her mentor. Yes. Okay, good, yep. good. Sort of like the ghost of Christmas past. <laughs> <laughs> the ghost of pilots past. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so tell us about your perspective as a pilot and being in the role. What do you think that lended to your career here and should people be pilots and involved in management of an airport? I encourage every young person to follow in my footsteps. I rather jealously think that I have had a 
splendid career, and I guess I'm going to spend some time now at home reflecting on it. But like I said, I am very proud of what's been accomplished here and very proud of the people that I have gotten to work with over the years. Just simply been amazing. And if you have any inkling that uh, you like airplanes, if you like to build model airplanes, if you like to do uh, model rockets, if uh, you like to just read about airplanes, if uh, you think, gee, that would really be neat. If you look up and see a contrail in the sky and say, boy, I wish I was flying that thing, I would encourage you to get involved in whatever STEM opportunities that your school offers. If you would get involved in those programs, that would give you a good foundation. And you don't have to be a commercial pilot who has flown thousands of hours in order to get one of the many jobs in aviation. There are a whole myriad of jobs that people feel just because they they love aviation and they, you know, want to be involved. I have been what's called a general aviation pilot meaning that I've only flown small airplanes. I've never flown an airliner or anything like that. But it gives you a good foundation. It gives you a uh, good per- perspective. As y'all have learned over the years, we're a rather acronym-rich organization. Our listeners have learned that, yeah. too, Yes, sure. and we uh, also deal with the FAA, who is probably the pinnacle of acronym-rich organization. And so... You know, just knowing the basics helps a lot. And also, um, one thing I would recommend, I was a flight instructor, and I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. Kind of toying with the idea right now. I don't know if I will or not, but kind of toying the idea because I just had so much fun doing that. Passing the knowledge on to uh, other people was a great experience for me. But I also think that that improved my people skills, my ability to... uh, deal one-on-one okay this is sort of like our crash fire rescue this is a joke it's only a joke (laughs) but sitting in the cockpit of an airplane going that's nice that looks really nice now put your airspeed up just a little bit yeah now you see the landing field there you see how the nose relates to the airport that's what you're saying but all the time you're over there going dear lord please don't kill me dear lord please don't kill me Being in that sort of environment kind of uh, improves your communication skills. The original test pilots, right? Yeah, I don't know. No, not as hairy as that. Not as hairy as Chuck Yeager and Bob Hoover and some of that other group. Yeah, but pilots are brave. I, I have to admit, I'm amazed by what they have to know and what things impact an airplane while in flight. And they have to be prepared for anything. Yeah. That's true. Hours and hours of boredom broken by a few minutes of stark terror. (laughs) That should be the slogan (laughs) for your new... That that applies to both flying airplanes and working at an airport. (laughs) I'm going to have that frame. But we need pilots. (laughs) We need a lot of pilots. We actually have a shortage of pilots. And I think it's great to hear the stories that you share about how much it's meant to you and how much just being a pilot has improved your ability to be in the workforce and be in management and lead an airport because we need more pilots yes definitely it's a boy what i wouldn't give to be 20 years old now but (laughs) (laughs) anyway well you mentioned a few things in regards to some of the projects that you enjoyed working on but from my perspective just being able to sit back and watch what you've done and talk to other people to prepare for your upcoming retirement we've created kind of a list of all the projects that you've been involved in 
And it is a variety of things from airfield to buildings to air cargo to ground transportation. It touches passengers and guests at our facility on all kinds of levels. And so one of the things that I think that wouldn't be moving forward as well as it is or as far as it has gone would be the Oak Ridge Airport Initiative. That's something that being a pilot and being involved with that community has been very important to our airport in in the consideration of adding another airport to our system. So if you want to talk about the importance of that project and what you think might be coming down the road for that? Certainly. The Oak Ridge Airport is a uh, excellent opportunity for the airport authority. Not very many places get to build a uh, what's called a greenfield airport, which is basically taking a um, airport that doesn't exist and building one, airfield, hangars, everything associated. First of all, let me talk about what the Oak Ridge Airport is. The Oak Ridge Airport is for general aviation aircraft, and general aviation aircraft is defined as anything that's not military and not airlines. So it's a rather broad category. I mean, it covers air ambulance, it covers work helicopters, it covers executive transportation, it covers flight training, it covers just people that perform aviation as a hobby, all of those categories. You may say, well, we've got a fine airport at McGee-Tyson. We've also got an airport at Downtown Island. Why on earth do you need a third airport? Well, first of all is the location of the Oak Ridge Airport in the industrial complex there that I feel, and I share this feeling with many people in Anderson and Roan County, that industrial park is going to uh, take off and it's going to be a tremendous asset Take off, no pun intended. No pun intended. <laughs> it's going to be a uh, tremendous asset for the community there. And literally so much of the stuff that's done at the laboratory, so much of the stuff that will be done by the companies operating that facility is what we call just-in-time stuff. It's stuff that you can't have laying inventory. It's stuff that you can't have sitting in a cargo building waiting to get on an airplane. It has to go now, and it has to get there now, that sort of thing. And there's more and more of that. So we have where the facility is located. That's one thing. Then the other thing is if you look at our airport system, we have McGee-Tyson Airport talking about 22 nonstop destinations, 60-something flights a day now, military operations, our general aviation operations. And you add all of that up and look at our land constraints, we're limited as to where we can grow at this airport. I like to tell people Downtown Island is aptly named. It's an island. It's an island, so it's limited, too. Enough said. Yeah. (laughs) It has a 3,500-foot runway that's not going to expand. So we really are missing a key component here, and that is a 5,000-foot, plus or minus, runway that can accommodate all of the facets of general aviation that I talked about. Of course, one of the key things we're focusing on, it's no secret, is the uh, executive travel and the business jets. It is amazing how that segment of aviation is growing. It's not only the uh, chief executive sitting back there drinking cocktails, thinking about his next vacation being jet-setted around the nation, 
that's pretty much gone today. What it is is getting employees there that can work on things, getting employees that are needed for development projects, getting employees that need to be three different places in one day. And the utility of the business jet is increasing dramatically because of that. And companies are recognizing more and more the importance of having that asset in their toolkit. So uh, that's an expanding segment of the industry that uh, we're looking at. Our partners with the Department of Energy have graciously agreed to donate the majority of the land for Oak Ridge Airport. And that's what makes it financially feasible. And we're looking for funding from the uh, state and funding from the FAA to actually construct the airport. Of course, it's another East Tennessee project, so we have to move a mountain to make a, to make a <laughs> runway. Yeah. <laughs> uh, kind of a familiar theme around here. But nothing's flat around here, that's, that's for right. sure. Yeah, you know. My friends out in Arizona and some places out west, I, I keep telling them they have no idea how easy they have it. <laughs> but that's a significant cost to the airport. And I think when it's finished, it's going to be a uh, another well-used and well-recognized asset for the community. Well, and so you just mentioned potentially adding another airport into our system. Um, hopefully this year, 2018, is one of our record-breaking years in passenger numbers. So moving forward, where do you see McGee-Tyson Airport going and what can our travelers kind of look forward to in that regard? What I hope for and what I believe in, well, first of all, let's go back just a little bit. Two million passengers where did all of y'all come from? <laughs> I'm so glad you're here. <laughs> yeah. Please continue to come. Yeah. yeah, you know. But like I said, growth is an extremely good thing, and you're all very, very welcome. Uh, it is one of the things I like to do is just kind of people watch down there and getting to see the people coming home from who knows where and greet their families. I love to see that. Getting people that are seeing loved ones off, you know, and don't forget the uh, road warriors, the uh, every week travelers that know the system and can can work it well, you know. My hat's off to all of those. That should be a uh, question on executive interviews for companies is how well can you work the uh, airport airline system? You yeah, know? yeah. They uh, could be on Amazing Race. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have pre-check? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Some of those people think Amazing Race is about them. Yeah. <laughs> but I think that what you're going to see in the future is continued growth. You know, it's not going to be a straight line up. It, it hasn't been that for the last 48 years at the airports that I've worked at. And we are pretty much a creature of the economy. As the economy goes, so goes air travel. And so as the economy cycles, our numbers are going to cycle. And we've got to start planning and preparing for that growth. There's a, a lot of things on the horizon that the uh, airport needs to get done. I mean, we're uh, at times constrained for parking. We're at times constrained for passenger processing. We're at times constrained for airline gates. And you wonder why I'm retiring. Because <laughs> it sounds exhausting. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. <Yeah. laughs> But all those problems are good problems to have. Those are excellent, excellent problems to have, yes. There are several airports in the country that are uh, not nearly as fortunate as we are that are literally looking for passengers. And you don't want your 
name on the news is them showing a deserted terminal building with no airplanes parked at it. You know, that's not good for an airport. As we wrap up this episode, we are talking about your impending retirement. And I know you've probably thought about this a whole lot, but what do you see as your legacy as you move into a different relationship with the airport? Because I know you're not going away. You're going to help Caitlin learn how to fly mm-hmm. and you're yes. going to be involved with our Aviation Academy and a lot of other projects. But what do you think your legacy as the leader of our airport has been? Well, in some respects, I uh, look upon my retirement as uh, I'm not going to leave the airport. The airport authority just doesn't have to pay me anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have more time. One of the best things, I think, about the airport that has happened over the past 38 years has truly been the staff of the airport authority, where we have come from. And we have been building on that legacy ever since then. And to watch it evolve, watch it grow. We didn't have a uh, engineering department back then. We didn't have sufficient airfield maintenance personnel. We didn't have sufficient safety officers. We didn't have, what, what is it? Oh, a PR department. Oh, back wow. then. you have a podcast? So yeah. I was, <laughs> how did we survive? I don't know. You didn't look as good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. Okay. You do know I did PR. Back then. Oh, I take that back. I take that back. <laughs> Don't blow it here in the closing room. No. But the employees and the organization and the way that it has grown and morphed and what we can literally accomplish at this airport now is just mind-boggling to me. And I know that's going to continue under the leadership of Patrick Wilson. He's going to do a, a great job in taking the uh, organization even higher heights, I guess. And once again, no pun intended. <laughs> and to... Uh, make the organization even better and make the employees even better. So I, I'm ex- I'm really excited about the future of the airport. If there's anything in my legacy box, I just would like to think it's the employees here at the airport. Well, on behalf of the employees and everyone involved, we know that it has been a pleasure serving you and representing you in the community and the community as the traveling public. And we appreciate your service to our airport. Thank you. We have completed our conversation today with Bill Marison, who is retiring from the Metropolitan Knoxville Airport Authority after 36 years of service and 50 years of service to the aviation industry. And it's been a great conversation about how aviation has changed and where it's going. And Bill had mentioned a lot of projects that he's worked on throughout the years and even some happening in 2018. And so for our next podcast episode, we are going to talk about kind of a year in review and all that has happened at McGee Tyson in 2018 and where we hope to go in 2019. So we hope you'll tune in.